You are now listening to Glowing Older, the podcast that goes deep with the experts shaping senior living. Brought to you by Motivo, game-changing innovation and mobility, partnering with senior living communities to reduce falls and increase resident quality of life. Enter promotional code GLOW100 at buymotivo.com for $100 off. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older Podcast, where we interview experts on innovation and senior living. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so pleased to be here today with Margaret Novak, author of Squint, Re-Envisioning the Second Act of Life. Welcome to the program, Margaret. Hi, Nancy. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, thank you. Uh, Before we dig into the book, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got your start, um, helping seniors and got the idea for the book? Uh, well, in my mid-40s, I left the corporate world not knowing where I wanted to go, but I liked the saying, um, I think some people questioned, you know, do you skate where the puck is going? And the famous hockey player said, no, I skate where the puck will be. And that's what I felt it meant to work with older adults. That's where the puck was going. So initially my decision was an intellectual one, but once I started my business, it was very much an emotional commitment. Um, It brought out good parts of me that I didn't know were there. I began a business to help older adults relocate, usually from the family home. And Most people were probably pretty skeptical that this was a viable business. It was the mid-90s, but it was the right concept at the right time, meeting a need that was not being met. Um, So my business grew. I received, I applied for and received awards, national awards, the American Society on Aging, which brought a lot of uh, press coverage. People began contacting me from around the country saying, how do I start a business like this? Soon I was teaching others how to be senior move managers. We started a national association of senior move managers. I became its first president. Uh, And basically we saw an industry grow from a cottage industry to a really viable industry that's meeting a need. Uh, In 2018, my business was acquired. Uh, It's every entrepreneur's dream. I worked with the new owner for about a year and a half and right before COVID uh, decided that it was time to leave the new company. Uh, And then within a few weeks, found myself in lockdown without title, without work and had to figure out what was this next phase going to be like. That's how you came up with the idea for the book, I'm assuming, and you wrote it during the, the pandemic. So tell us a little bit about it and what are the major themes? Uh, I did write it during the pandemic and it was um, a really symbiotic relationship because the pandemic gave me this enforced downtime um, when I sort of cocooned and thought about my past, my professional past, my personal past, And the book gave me much needed purpose during the pandemic. So the book was truly, it felt like a gift. Uh, I began looking at thoughts of looking back and had read David Sully's book of how to say it to seniors where Sully maintains that 
one of the chief jobs of people as they age is to look back and it helps them get a broader perspective of their life. I found it meaningful in so many ways. Uh, I was looking back at my own my own childhood and adulthood, but I was looking also at my professional life and it raised, my stories were all part of bigger stories. Um, I began to realize, and that's what really made it exciting, seeing how my stories of downsizing or caregiving or self-forgiveness or family estrangement were all part of bigger stories that were experienced by millions of people. And if I could write a book that would share my experience in a way that wasn't being um, didactic or telling people what they should feel, I feel I could make a contribution. It's such a great book for anyone um, looking at, at later life and adult children. I mean, so it's applicable to so many, but I also feel like it's applicable to the senior living industry. Um, you have such a unique perspective because you um, you have been a business person working with senior living communities for so long. You also um, recently have moved to a senior living community. I did. <laughs> and you're traveling around for your book, talking at different senior living communities. So I wanted to segue a bit into the senior living business. And, you know, in, in your perspective, are the senior living operators out there missing the mark? I think they're missing the mark in a, potentially in a couple ways. And I, and I, first of all, I want to commend the operators for what they have succeeded in doing them over the past several years. It's been astonishing. And um, but these are some of what I've seen. I know that most communities are wrestling with wanting to get a population of lifestyle enhancement and being increasingly encountering people that are moving in on a needs basis versus lifestyle enhancement. That means that their their length of time in the community is shorter. They are require services more intensively. So the question becomes, how do you acquire more lifestyle enhancement people, which is essentially what my husband and I were. And there were some interesting lessons in it. Um, I am my early 70s, my husband's six years older. And a few years ago, shortly after I sold my business, we acquired a shore home, which had been a dream come true. And we decided that we wanted to have lock and go in the city. And Bill said, where can we rent with three dogs? I said, nowhere. Um, he said, we're not moving twice. Let's move to a senior living community. And that's how our decision came about. It was to enhance our lifestyle. We were downsizing our possessions so we could upsize our lives. It was the perfect reason to move. And our timing was perfect. What could go wrong? Uh, three weeks before the move, my husband had a massive heart attack. We didn't know if he would live or die. And he did. I'll tell you, fast forward, he had open heart surgery and had a miraculous recovery for someone with so many comorbidities. And we moved and we're fine. But I realized when we moved um, here, I looked at my move here. I was the queen of downsizing. I've been doing it for 25 years, teaching people how to downsize, worked with thousands of clients. And my move was very imperfect. Uh, I brought things that didn't need to come. Um, but when I looked at those things after the move, I realized that downsizing doesn't need to be perfect. 
in order to make a move. And timing to move doesn't have to be perfect. My timing was perfect and then it was awful. And I I think if if operators can help people move away from wanting perfect timing, because you can't time it perfectly. Um, our, as I said, our timing was perfect and then it was awful. Uh, people think they need to sell their house and move the next day. And I, there's something that I have liked um, and I talk about it in the book, the concept of plan B. And perhaps we should be discussing plan B as the better solution because people are thinking they need plan A when everything lines up and is perfect. Um, one, when we're waiting for perfection, we're losing a lot of connections and experiences, but it's also not the realistic plan. I had people who would be worried, they would think about what if I house sells and I have to move into temporary housing? And I, I would say that being offered an apartment and, and they would say, well, my regular apartment isn't ready yet and I'm gonna move into a one bedroom den. What I really want is a two bedroom and then I have to move twice. And I would go one, you've sold your house. You don't have to live in a house for months keeping it market ready. You're enjoying life in the community. You're getting to know people. It's not moving twice and it is not the end of the world. It's, it's taking a lot of worry off of you. And the ironic thing is, I don't know of anyone, and I moved hundreds of people where the timing wasn't perfect. And they may have moved into what wasn't the perfect building or the perfect layout. None of them regretted the move. They actually, 50% of them said, well, I'm not going to move after all. And the other 50% said, well, I, I moved. It wasn't like a whole big deal. I was already in the community. And if we could help people realize that plan B is a good plan. I also was with clients where they sometimes would, especially the adult children, point out that a move might not be the wisest, a certain move. This particularly happened when there was someone that might be needing a higher level of care in the near future. Let's say they were moving into independent living, but there was a strong sense by family members, the person was going to need assisted living and family members might be saying, why aren't we just moving them into assisted? And I would maintain that might be your plan A, but your, your father's plan A is to move into independent. And if you asked him now, your choice is move into assisted or or don't move. He will choose move into don't move. He, you know, he's not willing right now to move into assisted. Let's do the move he's willing to be. And I compare it to tacking. Uh, in sailing, there's a concept of uh, if you want to go straight against the wind, sometimes you can't go in a straight line. You get there by going to your left and then going to your right and going to your left. And that's the way to make progress when there are obstacles. It may seem like it's not going directly there. It's not, but it's going, it's making progress and helping family members see that plan B is, I think it's where wisdom meets reality 
and finds a solution. And so, if we can help family members say, this is the best solution because it's the one your parents are willing to do. So um, just to, to reiterate, you feel that there needs to be more of a focus on the engagement, more of an investment, more of the focus on, on life enrichment and engagement, and that you feel that oftentimes it, it's the salespeople are painting kind of too rosy a picture or expecting people to have a perfect life. Well, they're, I think they're identifying a perfect sequence and we're, then we get stuck in perfect sequences as being the requirement. Yes. And, and I mean, obviously the lead cycle is so long anyway to get somebody in. That's right. Yeah. Um, I also think people, there's a lot of talk about stuff. That was my living, helping people with stuff. But I think often stuff is not really the obstacle. So if salespeople can get behind the discussion of stuff, it is much easier to talk about things as being the obstacle to moving than it is to say, what if they don't like me? What if I don't like community life? I've never lived in a community. My husband once doesn't want to move, but I do, or I want to move, but my kids are giving me grief. It is much easier to say, I have to downsize my stuff than it is to go into all those answers, all those other issues. And if you can get behind the stuff, because to find out, are there really other issues? An issue that surprised me when we moved, because in all my years as a move manager, no one had raised it, is how many of my friends who were living, who are still living in the family home, disapproved of my decision to move to senior living. They knew we were moving to a, a cottage, a 1400 square foot cottage. They said, maybe that's right for you, but we're not ready to give up independence. And my husband would think, what kind of independence are we giving up? The independence to mow? The independence to replace our hot water heater? I had not realized how many disapproving comments I got. Um, I hadn't realized that this must be an issue for other people as well. People well, that, who are not that, living in community thinking they don't want to, they don't want their friends to be people who are in one of those places because that means they're that age too. Or they want to ignore the issues of how are they going to age in place. So you're moving to a senior living community makes it harder for them to ignore the issues. So I think that's a real, I think that's a real issue and that it, it's interesting for senior living professionals to understand that um, the people that they're, the prospects they're meeting with are probably experiencing this from their friends. And that's such a great segue into my next question because you address ageism in your book and so have many of the other um, interviewees on, on the podcast. Um, one of your pet peeves is, is 65 and over the category. So talk, talk to us about ageism. Why is it a problem? How can we make changes? My first thoughts about ageism were about my own ageism and they made me laugh. Um, I remember putting on shoes in the winter. We just had a wintry mix and I put on my boots and I say to myself, I don't want to fall. And then I said to myself, well, don't you sound old? And then I said to myself, why does not wanting to fall make me feel sound old? Shouldn't it make me sound smart? And I realized how much we've internalized ageism of people my age. 
uh, as things of wisdom, we're make we're saying to ourselves makes us seem old. Being cautious makes us seem old. Being prudent makes us feel old. And those, so there's a lot of internal ageism. To that extent, I think, uh, I think it's appropriate. And I have seen a lot of, of ads that talk about um, an adventurous, an adventurous time in senior living. I want a lot of experiences and new experiences. And I think I would not be tempted by the security by saying senior living will get me security. At 71, I want to hear that senior living will give me lots of new experiences. Exactly. And I realize that part of the benefit is security, but it's not my big draw right now. Yes, agreed. What can senior living do in your estimation to address the issue of ageism internally and, and I mean, harder, harder to do in the media and that sort of thing. But how do you think senior living communities can address that? It will be wrong to imply that everyone at a community is in great physical shape. That's not the case. And, and physical condition doesn't equate to cognitive condition. Um, but I think emphasizing a richness of the opportunities and how different they are would be important. Purpose is a great equalizer, I believe, because it's not about, phys- it's not parachuting from airplanes. It's not about physical stamina. It's about emotional commitment to living a life that makes a difference. And that I think will be an attractive way of, of positioning a community for, for people who are moving in for lifestyle enhancement. Agreed. I think there are a lot of communities that have emphasized that they're like, you know, this is the cruise ship mentality. Personally, I've never been on a cruise. I don't plan to go to one. And I would not want a cruise ship mentality. I would want and fit better in a purpose-driven community. And I guess that there are multiple different personalities of communities, but that's what would appeal to me more. Exactly. Um, And in our last conversation, you mentioned that senior living needs to look outside of itself for innovation. Um, And you gave me some great examples of things that can be done that are not expensive and not even really that hard to implement. So can can you share a couple of those um, stories? Sure. I think boomers in particular are, as opposed to the silent generation, which is the preceding generation senior living communities, silent generations did what they were told for the for the benefit of the community. I think boomers are going to, one, want more individuality and ability to have individualized contracts or more options and more different lifestyles. So there may need, they may need, there may need to be more different, more varieties in what contracts look like, living arrangements in units. Uh, I saw Uh, There was an assumption in some communities that all of the enrichment they provided had to be provided by residents or full-time staff. And there are a lot of communities that sub out and bring in interesting experiences for communities by by doing research, finding opportunities. One community during the pandemic in particular, but this could be at any time, 
found an upscale um, food cooking class experience where individuals paid about $70 a person. The food was shipped to them on dry ice and everyone who signed up for the cooking class, which um, actually had all the ingredients and cooked along with the private chef and were all making the same, the same dinner. And it was fun and they all were drinking their wine while they were doing it. And it, cooking is a hot topic. Um, I've seen communities also create uh, a, an area, especially in assisted living, but, uh, but potentially in an independent as well, sort of a counter for people who were fine with eating by themselves where they were watching food preparation. Watching food preparation is, is interesting. I saw, I talked to one community um, that said, our residents are used to eating out a lot. Uh, and we want to be able, we don't just want to have different venues in the community. That's expensive to build if we don't already have them. That's bricks and mortar. I've seen communities actually negotiate with local restaurants to provide a discount on on food when people dine out at the restaurants. So the community residents are feeling, well, we get to, we've chosen to dine out. We got $5 off for each of, for each of us. And they, so they felt they were still getting something. They weren't just forgoing the 30 meals that they were obligated to. Yeah. I saw a community bring in a drum circle and, you know, there are lots of interesting things that are hot and by hot meaning very, very current. Uh, and I loved when I looked at things like drum circles, I said, these are very inclusive. People of all different physical abilities are able to be part of the drum circle. I read about all of the benefits. There are so many opportunities for bringing in new experiences that are very diverse versus, let's say, all intellectual experiences or all music or there's just a lot of opportunity there. It takes it. It takes looking around, um, I think going to conferences, finding out about best practices and then getting more information. Exactly. And uh, some of the things we talked about in our last conversation had to do with um, the severe staffing crisis in senior living. Um, and you, you brought up a really good point, which is bringing the residents and, and staff together in meaningful ways can really be quote, sticky, you know, it can really bring um, some retention with the staff. And what are some of the challenges of making that happen that you've seen and, and some of the, the ways to overcome it? It is ironic. I think there are a lot of challenges because there will be people who will accurately say, I pay a lot of money to be here. I deserve to have the staffing that I need. And yet it is also a generation that is incredibly, I think, generous. Um, and and appreciative. I think it takes real leadership from the top um, because it comes, I think that's where that sense comes from to go, to be saying to both the residents and to, to department managers, we are one. And how do you communicate that? I remember my husband was in a line at the grill about a year ago. We first arrived at the community and he was someone he was behind a person who worked at the community and the person said, oh, well, you can go ahead of me. And Bill said, no, you were here first. And the employee said, yeah, but I'm just an employee. And Bill said, 
but you're not just an employee. Why, why wouldn't you go ahead of me? And I think it's real leading by example. It takes a committed group of people who are going to lead by example of how you interact with people. Um, and it, it, from a leadership point of view, the communities have a terrific, they have terrific physical plants and some of which are, have parts that are underutilized. Why couldn't some of those uh, parts of the physical plant be utilized by team members and their families, whether it is a day at the pool, whether it is having a family fair day. Um, it is nice to have an employee fund, but I think that's not communicating on a regular enough day that we are one community. It is walking by, it, it is both the, the residents walking by saying to individuals, who work there, hi, I appreciate what you do. Are you having a good day treating them like, like people? And it's also being from, a, I think from a, a community management point of view, brave enough to lead residents and say, this is going to be important for our survival. There is an ongoing, there is and will be an increasing staffing shortage and people work for salaries, but we all know they work for a lot more than that. And can we create the culture that helps keep them here. Yeah, and that's so true because um, the, there's a Boston University and the Granger Cobb School at Washington University. They talk a lot about how hospitality students going into senior living that there's so much. It's so much more meaningful than taking care of tourists to take care of older adults and and be in true relationship with them administrators or residents to say, well, look what they're paid. If the, the, the solution is paying more, and I'm not arguing against paying more, but I know in my company, you know, we had many people that were paid 12 and $14 an hour that absolutely felt like valuable parts of a team. They felt valued, they felt heard, they felt consulted. So that, that has to come from the top. Um, and I think, People stay at a place when they feel they're making a difference. It takes, uh, I think, both a commitment and a conscious ongoing effort to let people share why they find it rewarding and to help them see why, how they make a difference. Exactly. Well, and, and it clearly would create such a better experience for the residents to have an engaged, happy staff. Right? Without it's question. Yeah, I remember. I remember waiting for someone uh, from the marketing department. I was sitting in near the cafeteria, or not a cafeteria. It was a grill in the off the main area, and people were lining up. It was around quarter of twelve to have their lunch, and the person who was the server at the grill, I mean, he says to the first person, "Hi, Harry. I got your hamburger. It's medium rare, the way you like it." Then he says to the next person, "Hi, Mrs. Smith." Um, here's your orange juice. I mean, he knew everyone's name. He knew what everyone liked. Those people, he was wonderful with them. And they really felt taking care. I mean, this was their home. It was so yeah. clear. And I thought what he does is such a perfect example of in a collegial, respectful way say, I'm here to support you and we are one family. 
I love that. There's certainly not enough of that um, in no. the industry. So, Margaret, as you look at your next chapter, your haha, no pun intended about the book, what gets you most excited these days? I saw a quote somewhere and it said, what is the most important thing you do in your life you haven't done yet? And th- that was really exciting. I don't know if that will be the case. I thought I would need to go directly from my work to another job or purpose. I said to myself and to others, I won't do well if I have to spend a year or two figuring it out, even though I knew that's what a lot of people have to do. Uh, but that's not the way it turned out. I, I am figuring it out. And I early on saw a little sign that I liked. It said, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. Uh, and, and I feel that does represent me. Um, I am be, I am getting involved or have been involved with um, a number of thought leaders on aging, and it's been humbling to be, be part of some planning groups with them. And I've also spoken a number of podcasts, and, it's, and that's, that's been exciting. I'd like to both be, continue to be involved in senior living. Um, it's, I realize that's what my passion has been. As a business person, I helped draw traffic, maintain engagement, close sales, and help people move in more quickly. And from I'm no longer doing that function, but I, I understand and feel part of the, the need to help senior living figure out how to how to turn how to both draw prospects, but how to sell the wonderful product that they have. I would continually see people weeks and months and years after they moved in and they're happy with the move and the question becomes how to help transform a discussion of bricks and mortar which is what people focus on the moment they get a floor plan into an understanding of the lifestyle they will have Um, that's the hardest part of senior living i think yeah because it's conveying a one kind of discussion and and trying to sell something they really don't get. <laughs> well, those are very sage words for the industry. And we so appreciate you being here with us today and sharing um, excerpts from your book. I can't um, recommend it enough. Everyone, please buy Squint. Thank you. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. 